0: Coming to you from deep inside the bowels of a great big empty. Get ready for another episode of The Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel.
1: And that was Golden Glenn, the official announcer of The Home Defense Show. I'm your host, Skip Coriel, author of 22 books, Marine Corps veteran, founder of the Second Amendment March, proud father of seven, grandfather to 19 and counting. And as a special bonus, I'm also madly in love with my own wife. My priorities in life are God, family, and country in that order, and I hereby promise to never compromise in my convictions. I may go broke, but I'll never go woke. Folks, you may uh, be noticing that I don't sound like Skip Coriel, but I assure you, this is really me. I've been sick for about two weeks now. I totally lost my voice for a week. I'm just now getting it back, so I will do the best I can today with what I have. Folks, we got a great show for you today. First, we'll speak with Michigan Sheriff Leaf about your Fourth Amendment rights. Then we'll be speaking with Jason Paletta from the state of California in our ShootingClasses.com self-defense report, where we get some expert advice on the details of self-defense. But before we get too far into the show, let's thank our sponsors, United States Concealed Carry Association, ShootingClasses.com, and Centershot Indoor Gun Range. All right. Now, there's been something heavy on my mind for the past few days. There was a, a shooting at a taco house. They call it a taqueria or a carrier or something like that down there. Down in Houston, Texas. It was back in January, almost a year ago. And a grand jury just declined to charge the man. I'm going to read this article and then uh, make some comments because this is very telling, folks, very telling. This is from Daily Wire. Grand jury declines to charge man who fatally shot robber at Houston Tech area. A grand jury in Texas declined to file charges against the man who last year shot and killed a suspected robber at a Houston area Tech area before returning the stolen money to other patrons, authorities announced on Wednesday. Harris County District Attorney Kim Og's office said in a statement that grand jurors no build" the armed customer who has not been publicly identified following an investigation by the Houston Police Department into the fatal shooting of 30-year-old Eric Eugene Washington. The no-bill decision means at least 9 of 12 randomly selected residents who made up the panel determined probable cause did not exist, clearing the individual of criminal wrongdoing, according to the district attorney. This process ensures that members of the community, rather than the DA's office, determine the appropriate outcome in all homicides in Harris County. The incident happened inside the Ranchito No. 4 at around 11.30 p.m. on January 5, 2023. Witnesses told officers that a masked black man wearing all-black clothing, a black ski mask, and black gloves walked into the restaurant waving what appeared to be a firearm at customers while demanding their money, according to Houston police. While the alleged robber, later identified as Washington, was walking around the restaurant taking money from patrons, one customer sitting in a booth with another person quickly stood up as soon as Washington passed by and pulled out a gun, as seen in surveillance video. The armed patron shot Washington, who collapsed on the ground. The customer, who was reported to be 46 years old at the time, continued to fire as he walked up to Washington, took his gun, and then fired one more round toward Washington. At least nine shots could be heard in the footage. The security video showed the patron apparently realizing Washington's firearm was fake as he threw it against the wall. Police said the man collected the stolen money, which he then returned to the others. He and other patrons then left the store. Responding officers found the robbery suspect shot multiple times, and paramedics pronounced him dead, according to authorities. No one else was reported to be injured in the incident at the time. You know, I could break down this, I could analyze this tactically, but for today, what's really on my mind is the mindset that this shows the mindset of the criminal, but also the mindset of the grand jury, 12 people. It's just a a slice, a cross-section or a representation of the citizens in Houston. I'll post that video down below the link on homedefenseshow.com so that you can watch it if you haven't. I'll just forewarn you that it is, it's graphic, and it's a little bit brutal because just the way it went down... The armed citizen shot the man four times, basically in the side and in the back, which I don't have a problem with under the circumstances. And the man went down onto the ground. And then the uh, armed citizen shot four more times into the man while he's onto the ground. Now you can think, well, wow, that wasn't really necessary. Well, that depends on all the details. And we don't really know all the details. I assume the grand jury did have the details. Uh, The first four were. Hey, that's cut-and-dried, black-and-white, valid self-defense. The second four, man, that's kind of iffy. Did he really need to take those four shots? I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not going to second-guess the man on that one. But then he approached the man who was on the ground, didn't appear to be moving, and then he took the man's gun away and then shot him one more time at contact distance. That's the one that I have problems with. The outcome, I'm certain, would have been the same. He shot the guy eight times, hit him really good from within, you know, 10 feet, 10, 12 feet. So the guy was going to die, or maybe he may have already been dead after eight shots. I guess what bothers me is the way it looks. I don't have a problem that the guy died. It's always sad when someone dies, even when they're a bad guy, right? It looks like an execution, and that makes every legal law-abiding gun owner look bad. It makes us look very, very angry and cold-hearted, callous, and that's not what most of us are. I can't get into the mindset too much of the armed citizen. It could have been just adrenaline. Once you start shooting, it's hard to stop shooting, but that ninth shot, boy, that was, in my mind, unnecessary, over-the-top, and I believe in a lot of states that armed citizen would have been charged. Uh, Texas is a different animal. It really, really is. That brings me to the mindset of the grand jury. At least 9 out of the 12 voted to not charge him with a crime. That's amazing to me. That, That really, really is. What that tells me is that the everyday citizen, at least in Houston, Texas, is sick and tired Of brazen crime like this. It was just brazen the way he did it. People are sick and tired of being robbed. They're seeing that the criminal justice system is broken down. It's not working anymore. And they're saying, listen, if you can't stop the crime, then us ordinary citizens have to stop the crime. I also want to talk about the mindset of the criminal. The guy walked in there with a fake gun And when you watch him walking around to everyone in that restaurant, turning his back on everyone, it was incredibly brazen. He was 100% sure that no one was going to try to stop him. If he had been unsure, he would have been more careful, or he would have brought a real gun. But he was so sure that everyone was going to be a helpless victim and totally comply with him, he went in there with a fake gun, turned his back on people. And it just tells me that the criminals out there now are so sure that they're not going to be held accountable that they can do whatever they want with impunity and nothing bad is going to happen to them. In this case, he was wrong. But in 99% of the crimes, he's right. On average, less than 1% of citizens carry a gun on a daily basis throughout their lives. That means statistically... A criminal will have to rob a hundred people, possibly, before they come up against an armed citizen. So why would he not think this? More of us need to go armed. More of us need to get training. Big problem again with this one is just the optics. It's the optics. I'm not going to judge the armed citizen because I wasn't there. But for me personally, I would have stopped at four shots. I would have reassessed. Approach cautiously while the, I had the gun pointed at the man. If more rounds were needed, I would have delivered them. But folks, be careful. Don't let the adrenaline take control of you. Well, hey, you guys can write me, tell me what you think. Comment through my website at homedefenseshow.com. All right, folks, if you want to learn how to protect yourself and your loved ones, then you need to check out our sponsor, United States Concealed Carry Association. Just go to USCCA.com and see how they can help you protect and defend the ones you love. This is Skip Coriel on Home Defense Show. Coming up next, we'll be interviewing Michigan Sheriff Dar Leaf about your Fourth Amendment rights. And then we'll have the self-defense report with Jason Paletta, sponsored by ShootingClasses.com. In the meantime, God bless and stay safe. We'll be right back.
0: Coming to you from deep inside the bowels of a great big empty. Get ready for another episode of The Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel.
1: And that was the beautiful and sultry voice of Golden Glenn, the official announcer of The Home Defense Show, and I'm your host, Skip Coriel. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, United States Concealed Carry Association, ShootingClasses.com, and CenterShot Indoor Gun Range for all your training and equipment needs. Now I'd like to introduce a good friend of mine, Berry County Sheriff Darley from the great state of Michigan. Dar, welcome to the Home Defense
2: Show. Thank you for having me on my show again. And uh, it's been quite a while since we've done this together.
1: Dar, you know, I invited you specifically on a talk about the Fourth Amendment. Before we launch into that, just give us like a 30-second biography of what do you do? What's your job?
2: Oh, well, actually I actually went to college to be a uh, street cop. I ended up here in this corner of our office here. This is my, the end of my fifth term. This is my 20th year being a sheriff here in Berry County. Uh, what do I do? I run the sheriff's office, the chief law enforcement officer, and by inheritance, we're the chief conservator of the peace. We are the only elected law enforcement in the country.
1: Well, and that's important, too, because that makes you accountable and you probably care more what the people think about you. Dar, I want to talk about the Fourth Amendment. I'm just going to read it uh, right out of the book here. Amendment 4, United States Constitution. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. What's that mean,
2: Dar? It's telling government, no, you have a right to this privacy. If you go look at the Bill of Rights, your first eight are all telling government, no, you can't tell me what religion I, can, I have to practice. You can't, I can't have free speech or the press. And, and then the Second Amendment comes in. Well, this is the Fourth Amendment. And again, it tells government, no, stay out of my person, houses, papers, and effects, unless you have a really, really good reason. And then it gives the uh, guidelines of what we in government have to do in order to search those places.
1: So it's not supposed to be easy for them to be able to search all of your stuff?
2: Search warrants are supposed to be difficult to get. They're not supposed to be easy. You go even look at Michigan's constitution, the article 11, section 11, and it says a person, houses, papers, possessions, electronic data, and electronic communications of every person shall be secure from unreasonable searches and seizures. And there's that word unreasonable. The courts are supposed to be reasonable. We are supposed to be reasonable in our actions. This is telling government. You better have a good reason before you start getting into my personal stuff here.
1: That term reasonable, it's kind of defined by whoever says what is reasonable. So how is that policed?
2: That's difficult. Like we, When I go through your uh, concealed pistol class there and I teach the legal portion, I talk about the reasonable and reasonable changes because reasonableness here in Barry County might be completely different than people in Wayne County. And look at the divide we have today. The way I put it is, is uh, like, If you have a dog that's ill in Michigan, it's still illegal for you to euthanize your own animal. As long as you're not violating the animal cruelty laws. So you can literally take your own animal out and shoot it and put it out of its misery. You go over to the east side of the state and say that and you might get some jail time. So what is reasonable? So it changes within the venue that you're in. What we have to help keep it consistent is the court system. So we have a whole plethora of cases out there for uh, searches and seizures. And one of the big ones for us in the police community is the Terry versus Ohio. And basically let me explain what that is. First, you had an experienced officer and that's part of our being reasonable as our experience and doing the job. Well, he watched, I think it was two or three guys were looking into this store window and they kept walking up and walking away and the police officer said, that's really odd. I think they're gonna try and rob that place. So he went and approached those three men and he identified himself as a police officer and he said, started talking to them and they were their answers didn't make sense, they were mumbling. So he turned one of them around and patted him down and found a gun on him. His experience and when he patted the guy down, it felt like a gun in his pocket. And back then, in that Ohio case, he needed a concealed pistol license. So he arrested all three of them on violating concealed pistol law, carrying a concealed weapon. Well, the Supreme Court said that was reasonable. Because of the officer's experience, what he saw happening there, and his suspicions were true. So reasonable is not black and white; it kind of
1: mutates from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, from officer to officer. This is Skip Coriel on Home Defense Show, and we're speaking with Sheriff Dar Leaf about the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Go ahead,
2: Dar. What the courts do all around the country is they look at what people call case law, and there's all kinds of case law out there or court opinions on what is reasonable. And when you go into court, you will hear the attorneys barking back and forth, uh, people versus so-and-so. There's a whole bunch of them on search and seizure. So reasonableness, if you went into like a jury, but reasonableness in the courts too, that's gonna be based on those cases that the attorneys bring up for the argument.
1: How do you think it's being applied? Your opinion across the country, does the government you think ever violate the Fourth Amendment?
2: Yeah, it happens. I would like to say frequently, but you got to understand the amount of contacts law enforcement officers have every day is in the millions the contacts with the public. So you're going to have questionable searches and seizures. What the courts also did is they gave us the thing called the 10 exceptions to the court, that search warrant rule. And number one on my list on this is The consent, a lot of people don't realize they can say, no, you can't. I want to go. You can't search me. You can't seize me at this time because it's a search and seizure. So if you give them consent to search, then they're going to go search. Uh, The other one is probable cause and exigent circumstances. So we have to have this thing called probable cause. Probable cause, again, is what a reasonable man has thought that there was a crime committed and maybe this person had done it type thing then exigent circumstances is you need to seize that evidence quickly before it was destroyed. In other words, if you had time to get a search warrant, you need to go get a search warrant. But if you have to hurry up and go get some drugs that are being flushed down the toilet, or maybe it's a car that has wheels that can drive away and take the evidence away, that's where the exigent circumstances come in. Then we had Plain View, which obviously uh, a real simple explanation of that is a police officer driving by a house and he sees a man with a a gun pointed at somebody inside the house. He doesn't need to go get a search warrant to go in and stop that crime or arrest that person who's committing the crime. Hot pursuit. You see this criminal and you see him do the act and all of a sudden you take off chasing him and you're right on his heels and he runs into somebody's house. Yes, you can follow him inside that house and go get him. You got to think about it. You know, is that his house? (laughs) Did he just run to some stranger's house? fresh pursuits, kind of the same thing, but that has to do more with the circumstantial type stuff where you see that somebody broke into this house and also you have know, footsteps that are fresh and they're going on off to wherever. So you start following this footstep. Uh, that would be what we call fresh pursuits. An emergency, again, would be uh, that one example I gave you. Somebody You drive by and you see somebody with a gun up to the head and they are looking like they are going to shoot somebody. Well, that's an emergency. You can go on in and stop that. Then a search subsequent to an arrest. We go out and arrest you, put the handcuffs on you. We're going to pat you down for a weapon. We're going to do that before you take you into the jail, to, and that would endanger the correction officers and all the other inmates there. And we can only do what, what's called the wingspan of a person. Obviously, the border search would be uh, next on my list. The border search, it, and here again, we got to be careful with borders because when you go to these airports, those are considered portals. So there's an actual border there around that airport. Stop and frisk, that's at Terry versus Ohio, I just explained to you. The terry pat down, we call it, or stop and frisk. That's the one I just mentioned about the guys casing out the store. And then inventory. Somebody gets caught drinking and driving in their cars in a hazardous area, and we'll tow that car to a wrecker company, but well, we have to do an inventory inside that car. And that's to protect us from them saying, hey, I had thousand dollars in the car and it's gone now. So that that's kind of in a nutshell, those 10 exceptions to the search warrant rule.
1: Hey, we're out of time for this uh, segment. We're going to continue our conversation with you about the Fourth Amendment in the next segment here. But during the break, go ahead and pump out 30 push-ups and get back in physical shape because we all know that a healthy, fit person is harder
3: to kill. In the meantime,
1: God bless and stay safe. We will be right back.
3: Avoid danger, save lives, and keep your loved ones safe. If this sounds good to you, you sound good to me. And I'd like to help you do those things. Avoid danger, save lives, and keep your loved ones safe. If you're looking for more excitement in your life, we have nothing to offer you. But if you are a thoughtful, responsible, non-violent man or woman, we'd love to teach you what to do if something crazy happens. More importantly, we'd like to teach you what not to do. We currently have over half a million members. They are doctors and single moms and firemen and grandmothers and veterans and Democrats and Republicans and members of every faith. But the one thing they all have in common is that they know exactly what to do if something crazy happens. When you're with one of our members, you are safe. Our members know how to de-escalate situations. They know how to calm things down. We are the United States Concealed Carry Association. See what we're all about at usconcealedcarry.com. Discover the little-known backstory of the U.S. Concealed Carry Association at usconcealedcarry.com.
0: They say he eats crayons and his knuckles drag on the ground, but that's only half true. Welcome back to the Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense
1: Show. I'm your host, Skip Coriel. And now let's continue our conversation with Michigan Sheriff, Dar Leaf. Okay, Dar, you gave us a whole bunch of stuff in the last segment. Go ahead and talk about the practical application of this. So what does this mean, for example, to a CPL holder who gets pulled over or anyone in their car that gets pulled over?
2: In an automobile, automatically you have what they call exigent circumstances, but we would need to look at probable cause. If you're a concealed pistol license holder, are you breaking a law? So that's one of the things is probable cause what? Probable cause that a crime was afoot. So, But if you're legally carrying concealed, does that give the officer the uh, open door to literally search your vehicle? Well, the answer to that is no. There has to be probable cause that a crime is being committed. So we had a case quite a few years ago on that with a small town officer. The officer ended up losing their job over it, but A person, legally licensed to carry concealed, followed the rules that he was supposed to when an officer approached him, told him he's concealed carrying. But he admitted he had been drinking that day. So the officer asked him to take what's called a preliminary breath test. It's a little black box about the size of your cell phone. It's got a straw on it. And you blow into it and it'll give you uh, a reading whether or not there's alcohol in your system. And she had him do that and he blew all zeros. Well, next thing you know, she's searching his vehicle to the point where she's taking her fingers and pushing them down in the cracks of the seat and running her hands in there. And sure enough, out pops this little pill, looks like a Schedule 1 drug. So she goes out and charges him, with arrests him on that, sends us up the request to have the CPL removed. That was an unlawful search by that officer. What was the purpose of that? She could not articulate in a report why she searched that vehicle. There has to be the officer or a reasonable person believing that a crime was afoot at that time.
1: Uh, This whole thing about consent, Dar. You know when i'm teaching a concealed pistol license class and we're talking about traffic stops the vast majority of the students in the class they either don't know that they have the right to refuse consent or they'll say i'm an innocent person why would i not just say go ahead search my car address that
2: first of all when you get pulled over that's a stressful situation and your ability to make good decisions under stress are not as good as if when you're relaxed. You ask any attorney out there, and attorneys are not anti-government, but they will tell you don't consent, especially if you have somebody else driving your vehicle. Because what an officer's doing at the time, he's building a case against you. Why would you cooperate with that? Why would you say, I got nothing to hide? Well, do you or don't you? Well, look at that guy who uh, the officer was literally reaching in the cracks of the seat of his car And found a little pill on there and and called him away to jail for that. So that's what you're taking at risk when you give consent to search your vehicle. Again, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be anti-law enforcement or anti-government or anything like that. But especially if you let somebody else drive your car, you have Mm -hmm. no idea what they or any of their friends left inside there. I share this story with the concealed pistol people where my son, we went deer hunting. He had a backpack, and that's where he took snacks and everything, and he also had his hunting knife in there. It's the same backpack that he uses for school. Well, he took everything out of there with the hunting knife, and he threw his books in there, goes to school, opens up his locker, pulls his books on out, puts them in his locker, and he looks down there and quick closes his bag and throws it in his locker and closes it. Somebody saw the knife in there. They didn't report it right away. They reported it after they got mad at him. When he took the knife out of the locker, though, that day, you put it underneath the seat of my wife's car. And the blade is probably four inches on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you never so, you never really know
1: what's in your car, especially if you got a spouse or or teenagers
2: or or something like that. You just don't know. And the teenager's friends. When you do that consent, you're giving it all up. They're gonna search. And yeah. sometimes I've heard people who have given consent and the officer leaves their car and shambles or leaves a bunch of stuff out on the long side of the road. You can stop that consent at any time also. You say, hey, that's enough. I'm going to ask my attorney if this is a good idea.
1: This is Skip Coriel on the Home Defense Show, and we're speaking with Sheriff Leaf from Michigan about our Fourth Amendment rights. Dar, I had a situation probably 10, 15 years ago. I, I bought a, an old pickup truck, and uh, I drove that truck for a year. And my wife, after a year, she says, I'm not getting in that truck until you clean it. So i said okay fine i'll clean it i gave it a really good cleaning i opened the ashtray for the first time i don't smoke so i never opened the ashtray it was filled with marijuana roaches and i i'd (laughs) been driving it around for a year i had no idea Dar, what should they do if they say you know i really don't want you to search my vehicle what should they do if the police officer won't let it alone Maybe they overstep. they push it, and they said, get out of the car. I'm going to search it anyways. What should the citizen
2: do? About that time, I'd get my cell phone out and record it all. I don't know how often that happens. Usually when they ask you to get out of the car, there's a reason. Yeah. Uh, some stuff they teach us in the academies are that, you know, you're actually really, really nervous, you're sweating, you're trembling sometimes in fear. And uh, when you're an officer, you tend to forget what that's like because you're the government now. They get a little overzealous on it. You can request that their sergeant or uh, command officer be over there. It, 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 no sense in fighting with the officer. Don't fight with them because that's just going to get you in bigger trouble. I, I'd contact an attorney. So
1: go ahead and, and just say, officer, you know, you don't have my consent. I'm not going to resist you. I'm going to record this and I'll be taking this up with my attorney later on. Is that the synopsis?
2: Yeah, most of your officers are mic'd up or they got the body cams on them. So if you can verbalize something like that, that's all recorded.
1: Okay, that's good. We've been talking about vehicles. We've got about two minutes left. What about at your house or your business? Do you still have these same rights where you live?
2: Oh, yeah. House is your castle. House is really difficult to get into. And if you go read this Fourth Amendment, it says the uh, oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. If you get a search warrant and it's for your whole house and they're looking for something, that's really not a valid search warrant. They have to be particular where we're going to go find it and what the evidence is. Uh, again, you, it's one of those things. You're not going to go fight with the officer on it. And I hate to say it. You're going to have to go chuck out three to five hundred dollars an hour for an attorney. You can usually get that back if you, like, file a suit afterwards if you win your case. Officers, again, they're human beings. They make mistakes. But your home is particularly difficult to get into and do a search.
1: Dar, how do you feel uh, personally and professionally about a no-knock raid in the middle of the night to execute a search warrant?
2: See, in Michigan, we've always been really strict on it. I don't know about other states but we had to give a good, solid reason why we wanted to do a no-knock. And the, the no-knock here in Michigan was is you knew they were heavily armed inside or there was a reasonable belief that they were heavily armed inside or that evidence was easily gonna be get, gotten rid of and so on. So that was the purpose of the no-knock. And it had to do with officer safety. And if you're in a community like, uh, let's say Grand Rapids, If they're heavily armed, it's not just the officer's safety. You know how far a bullet will go. You know it'll go through several houses, especially in some of these rifles or shotgun slug. So it's also for the safety of your community.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Dar, that that begs the question. You're the sheriff of a a rural county, Berry County. And it's like in Berry County,
2: almost everyone is heavily armed. (laughs) Yeah, that is a fact. But I'm talking about, when you're suspect them of being like like a drug raid you just mentioned, didn't you? Didn't you say drug yeah. raid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. More, that's a crime. You're going to have to show where that person was violent in that crime. So it's not something where the first time you get them in a drug raid that you're going to do this no knock. No, that that's really hard to get through with the courts here.
1: Okay. Well, Dar, we are about out of time. I know you could talk about this for hours on end um, and it would all be good stuff. But we're going to have to close for now. But, hey, I just want to thank you for being on the Home Defense Show today. And thank you for all that you're doing to help
2: educate Americans about their constitutional rights. Hey, no problem, Skip. And you're right. These 10 exceptions to the search warrant rule, we could have spent hours on each one.
1: (laughs) All right. This is Skip Coriel on Home Defense Show. Coming up next, we'll have our self-defense report with Jason Paletta from California, brought to you by ShootingClasses.com. During the break, go ahead and check out our sponsors, United States Concealed Carry Association at USCCA.com, Center Shot Indoor Gun Range at centershotgunrange.com, and shootingclasses.com. After that, go ahead and do some dry fire practice. Make sure the gun is unloaded and there's no ammo in the room. God bless and stay safe. We will be right back.
3: Firearms training should be easy instructors can focus on teaching and not worry about all the complex paperwork and management behind the scenes. Just pull the trigger and let us do the administrative work. Welcome to shootingclasses.com. At Center Shot Gun Range, we are passionate about training. Don't know where to start? We offer a one-hour new shooter seminar to introduce you to the world of firearms and help you find training opportunities specific to you. Concealed carry, home defense, firearm safety, AR-15, private one-on-one training, custom training, or maybe you're on a security team looking to protect your church or business. We even offer weekday morning and evening classes. Center Shotgun Range has you covered. Start your journey at centershotgunrange.com. Firearms training should be easy. Instructors can focus on teaching and not worry about all the complex paperwork and management behind the scenes. Just pull the trigger and let us do the administrative work. Welcome to shootingclasses.com.
0: He's no Einstein, but he can read and write and feed himself just like a big boy. Welcome back to the Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel.
1: And that was the beautiful and sultry voice of Golden Glenn, the official announcer of the Home Defense Show. And I'm your host, Skip Coriel. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, USCCA, ShootingClasses.com, and CenterShot Indoor Gun Range for all your training and equipment needs. And now it's time for our weekly self-defense report sponsored by ShootingClasses.com. And today we're speaking with Firearms Instructor Jason Paletta from the great state of California. Jason, welcome to the Home Defense Show.
3: Hey, how's it going?
1: Would Jason take about 30 seconds to go over your credentials? What do you
3: do in in the training world? I've been a police officer for about 25 years, about three years contracting overseas with for the U.S. Department of State. So I did a year and a half in Iraq, a year and a half, uh, almost a year and a half in Afghanistan doing uh, high threat protection. Came back to law enforcement and i got about 10 years on SWAT. Was a firearms instructor there. You know, I started my training portion of it. So in the civilian sector, probably about 2007. And then now fast forward, it's evolved into pillar training.
1: That's awesome. A lot of good memories, good experiences, and they they all come together to make you who you who you are today. All right. Well, Jason, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to Read part of this article so that our listeners know the scenario that we're talking about here. So, here we go. This is uh, from Youngtown, Arizona. Good Samaritan with a gun saves wounded cop. The gunshot that struck State Trooper Ed Anderson was one in a thousand, he said. Half inch to my right, it would have missed me, the Arizona State Police officer told CNN. A few inches to my left, it would have hit my vest but the bullet found Anderson's right shoulder, paralyzing it and preventing him from reaching his own weapon. 4.30 in the morning, it was dark and desolate near Tonopah, Arizona. The only other person around was the man who just shot Anderson and an injured female companion. His gun now empty, the man charged Anderson, striking him with the weapon and bashing his head into the pavement. I kicked him into the fast lane, hoping that a car would come by and hit him, Anderson said, but it didn't work. Anderson rolled onto his right side, shielding his weapon from the attacker. I knew if he got my gun, it would be all over right then, he said. Then Anderson heard a voice and gunshots. It was over. The attacker lay dead in front of him. Anderson was alive. But who saved him? A former felon, he would later learn. A man who turned his life around and found God. A lifelong hunter who begged a judge to reinstate his rights, allowing him to carry a gun again. The one he just fired. A man who is now Anderson's friend. Life, judging from what happened there and what we know uh, in the article, go ahead and and break this scenario down. You know what did the citizen do right? What did he do wrong? What what should other people do if they find themselves in a position where they could or maybe should pr- help protect an officer?
3: Well, going back or actually further ahead in in the uh, in the story that that you didn't read was as the citizen was traveling down this roadway, he was passed by that officer. That kind of sets the precedence for it. And as the officer gets out of sight, eventually the citizen arrives on scene, you know, finds that the officer's actually dealing with a suspect with a gun. So once you have that in perspective, he did the right thing because what uh, wasn't said before was, as the citizen gets out and he approaches, The officer is getting bludgeoned with this empty gun from the suspect. So what the system did, he goes, hey, do you need help? That is spot on because sometimes help can be more hindrance or maybe something else is going on. Again, we're reading an article, but that's the right way to approach. You never just want to jump in and start helping because you know what? You may not be helping as much as you think you are. So to get that help from somebody or, or to ask that question, that's going to kind of guide you on where you need to go. And what's funny about this story, when I read this, when you sent it to me, was I had a similar incident. You know, I was I was on the side of the road trying to arrest a guy on a warrant from a traffic stop, and I actually had a citizen stop and help me get this guy in custody. So it, it kind of just maybe reminisce on that.
1: This is Skip Coriel, and you're listening to the Home Defense Show as we discuss self-defense with Jason Paletta from shootingclasses.com in the great state of California. You raise an interesting point, Jason, one that I hadn't even thought of. As a police officer, you want the citizen to ask, say, hey, do you need help? And boy, I guess my mindset is I just kind of rush in where angels fear to tread, and that might not be the the best idea. So that's a really good point, Jason.
3: Yeah, and it's gonna be a judgment call because taking the, the totality of circumstances. Obviously, if a, if an officer isn't responding and you see somebody beating him up or whatever, then obviously I wouldn't want somebody to waste the time on asking if I need help. Yes, obviously I need help, help me out. But if it's a conscious officer, so much goes into this because what happens if you have other officers responding and now you have the citizen that shoots the suspect, which is good on him, but the other officers say they approach and they, they get on scene. And what is gonna be your thought process as an officer is you pull up and you see one of your fellow officers on the ground, bludgeoned, and a dead suspect on the ground, a guy with a gun who's the shooter. Yeah. yeah. Going into a scene like that, you expect to have guns planted at you, expect to be prone down on the ground, expect to be handcuffed. You never know until you kind of start weeding through everything and like, oh hey, he was the good guy, he actually shot. Now to go back to this guy was actually a felon at one time. Kudos to him. We always talk about, you know, it's a revolving door. Everyone goes to jail, they just keep on going as you. You know, there's a percentage out there that actually turn their lives around and do the right thing. You know, with this guy getting his felony dropped down to a misdemeanor so he can get his gun rights back. Kudos to him.
1: Jason this uh, the citizen, he he fired two shots, you know, one to the chest and then one to the head and then Sounds like it was pretty much over at that point. So it it looks like it it was pretty good
3: marksmanship. Well, as I was reading that, so you shoot somebody once in the chest and then they start falling. And, you know, what, did he fire two rounds in in quick succession or did he fire one round of the chest, transition to the head and fire another round? I'm going to say just what we know. It's really hard to, to guess at it because imagine if you shoot somebody in the chest and they start falling but the last thing you saw with his chest and you're pressing that trigger then yeah. obviously as they fall down the next shot is going to impact the head you know depending on their angles so was it intentional i don't know was it a good, good shot it was a great shot
1: well the important thing is he didn't hit the police officer so it was at least good enough to
3: not shoot the police officer so that's good and in the uh, in the article he even talks about he changed his his angle so he would have a clear backdrop of yeah, the suspect, yeah. which was again tactics. The guy you know took the forethought of saying, "Hey, I don't want to hit the officer. I just want to hit the bad guy." and he did what he had to do to do it
1: after he made the two shots. Bad guy went down. the threat was over. What's a wise thing to do with with that gun once you're done shooting
3: in this scenario, I would probably say. You can probably unload it, put it put it on the ground away from you. As the officers approach, put your hands up, say, hey, I just shot this guy. My gun's over on the ground. I unloaded it. You know, But then you have to look at, was there another suspect? Um, so yeah. then you got people yeah. saying, well, why did he unload his gun? It's almost armchairing it. At least put the gun on the ground or, or put it somewhere. Put it back in your vehicle. And then as the officers approach, go to hands up, go to submissive mode, and go along with what they're uh, instructing you to do because you just don't know. Another thing I wanted to touch on, you know, the officer, it sounded like he never got out that he was on the ground being beaten. It didn't say anything about radio traffic that he needed help. But they already had the life flight en route because of the injured women. If you happen to roll up and you help an officer and say this officer is so injured that, you know, they can't care for themselves, Uh, you just shot the suspect, you killed the suspect, the officer can't talk, whatever the case is, he's incapacitated. If anything, you you can get on that officer's radio because I'm going to tell you what, I've heard other people on the radio that's supposed to be another officer and just the hair on your neck stands up to get on that radio, say, hey, officer down this location and then drop it. And then you're going to have every officer roll into that location and then get on the phone and call 911. That's going to be the quickest way to get officers to that location.
1: Jason, uh, that was a, a very good analysis. I'm glad I had you to talk about this because you're a law enforcement officer and I wanted that that perspective. So uh, Jason, I just want to thank you for all your service to your country and for uh, being on the Home Defense Show today. It's been great.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, uh, Jason, before you go, tell people how they can learn more about uh, your services.
3: If you go to pillartraining.net, we do have our 2024 schedule up. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, folks, this is Skip Coriel on Home Defense Show, and that about wraps it up for this week's show. I've had a good time, and I hope you have too. Please don't forget to thank our sponsors, Center Shot Indoor Gun Range at centershotgunrange.com, shootingclasses.com to help you find the right trainer for your needs, and the United States Concealed Carry Association. I've written 20 plus books, and they're all available on amazon.com in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. This week, check out one of my novels. It's a four book series called The God Virus. I think you'll like it. Please join us again next week for all your home defense needs. In the meantime, God bless and stay safe.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on The Home Defense Show. Now, get out there and protect the ones you love. We'll see you next week with more of the best.
3: Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle.